Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is Saturday morning, but on Thanksgiving weekend, that means it's the day after, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With the day after podcast comes Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. We are again sponsored by Johnny T-shirt. NC State 34-30. Buck Sanders, we talked a bit off air. I've watched a lot. I don't know if I've seen one quite like that, especially not in the NC State North Carolina rivalry. What a game on Friday night, Carter Finley Stadium. Well, you know, the ex- crazy finishes to UNC NC State games is is not a thing. I mean, uh, I mean, there there've been plenty of them. Is what I'm trying to say there. Uh, the TA McClendon stop you know, on uh, inches and uh, goal or fourth and inches or whatever. Um, the Gio Bernard punt return. Um, there's all been all kinds of crazy finishes to NC State games is, uh, with UNC for over the years, plenty of times. It's one I'm trying to remember now that was in the 80s. You may remember it, Tommy. Uh, the NC State's always uh, claimed that there was interference in the end zone. Which one was that? It was been, been a while ago. Like That was Fuzzy Lee Mark, Mark Thomas. Yep. Carolina won 30-28. Yeah. yeah. So – there's been a lot of crazy finishes to, to games between these two teams. This one ha- had its own flavor to it, uh, for a lot of different reasons, but, uh, craziness is no stranger to UNC NC state games. Definitely that. And especially with it being a rivalry, Jason, your overall thoughts before we dig into it, I, I thought Carolina up until about two minutes and 12 seconds had played, um, their best two quarters two and a half quarters because the first quarter was not good. I thought they were doing everything right. Um, your overall take, and then let's get into this. Overall take is it, it took some special – it's uh, it's not even hard to give an overall take to what we just saw. It, <laughs> it takes some special mistakes and errors, a comedy of errors, a tragedy, a tragic comedy of errors – all in a row for, for that outcome to happen. I mean, the, the implausibility of each of those things happening and then happening in sequence. I mean, they just drew a, you know, a straight flush on a, on, uh, you know, an inside straight flush on, on the last, on the last card. I mean, it's just, you just don't expect. And they only kept three of, cards. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of sequence is just, I, I, yeah, that's my take is 
Wow. Only, <laughs> only, only in this game and only with Carolina football when it's actually not has happened to other teams, but not the way this one shook out. But let's, let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly like we've always done. And I'm going to start with the good. Um, Sam Howe is just a beast. I mean, that dude was getting pounded all night. Absolute beast. And he's not the only one that came to play <clears throat> on the offense. But let's talk about Sam for a minute. I was there, and I haven't rewatched it. Um, but to see him wheel that team to be up nine, here's the, here's the crazy thing. Sam Howell got Carolina up nine with two minutes left. He comes back in um, with a minute left, and they're down four. The man did all he could to win the game. What would you see, Buck? Well, uh, uh, the good, let's, uh, we could talk about that in the context of Sam Howell, but let's lead with this North Carolina rushed for 297 yards to NC state's 113. Ask a hundred people if, if they'd have rushed for 297 outrushed NC state, nearly tripled their Russian output, who would have won that game? 99 and a half of them would have said in UNC, right? If Maybe 99.6%. Is that what you're saying? Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, 297 yards rushing British Brooks. Where's he been all my life? He looked like Javante Williams out there. Um, you know, and, and, uh, Ty Chandler had a great run late in the fourth quarter. I think to get him down to, uh, the red zone, which. If we're going to talk about ugly, we could talk about red zone. Um, that's been a problem, uh, for so long. And, and it doesn't seem nothing works for them. Uh, and they try the same play like three or four times in a row. And whether it's a run or a pass and it never works. Well, it does sometimes work, obviously. Well, they had it. They had the one good sequence down there where they had set it up with the stuff against Wofford and they had the, you know, the naked, the, the little naked boot that wound yes. up a, uh, wound up for a touchdown. You got to give them credit on that one, but the rest of it was an, was an abomination. Well, you know, like last week they ran four plays from like the two yard line or less against Wofford against Wofford and couldn't get in. This week they get the five yard line and they decide to throw it three times. And British Brooks is averaging 10 yards a carry at that point. What, what are we doing? What are we doing here? I don't know. Uh, but, uh, no, granted they did have, I mean, uh, the thing is uh, as frustrated as I am at, at those sequences, they did have a wide receiver, get his hands on the football on two of those three plays. I mean, should have been catches in the end zone. And the one I'll, I know we, we buck you and I tend both to, to not, uh, make a fuss over officiating, but on the one, it was a clear interference that was missed. Still got to make the catch, but it's a clear interference that was missed. And then, you know, a, a drop on top of that where, you know, he gets hit and you've just got to be strong, stronger through the, the catch point. And then the other DB made a great play to get his hands through the ball, but you, you're in position on both of those to, to, to score a touchdown. Yeah. The one that the, the, the play that I just don't understand is running a slip screen down there in that situation, which should have gone for a pick six. If that hadn't been dropped, that's a pick six. Yes. That and, would have been uh, I don't understand 96. that call. 
I don't understand that call in that situation at all. I cannot stand wide receiver jailbreaker slip screens in tight like that. You just can't do it. Buck, that would have been Virginia 1996. Yes, it would. And and I would not be on this podcast because I would be unable to talk about the game for two weeks. Um, <laughs> that's how I was after Virginia. Uh, but uh, a variety of things were ugly. And and you mentioned the uh, drops and whatever for that one receiver who will go, his name will go unspoken. And a guy who had not dropped a ball all season. Seven targets, one catch. Seven targets, one reception, four drops. Go figure. He hadn't dropped a ball all season coming in. Just really, oh, it's one he'll want to forget. Um, just, just a brutal so, knock. But, you know, that the, there are other things that were – there are so many positives, really. Uh, and, Jason, uh, I watched the uh, game plan on the beat uh, combination thing. Totally called it when uh, he said that they were going to put more pressure on Devin Leary than they had put on anybody all year. And they sacked him six times. Um, clearly uh, they left him to be very uncomfortable except inexplicably there, uh, you know, in the last, uh, 26 seconds or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, and, and, the and the DBs did the corners did a great job on those big receivers all game until that. 26 second sequence. Um, it was just hard to fathom the number of things that had to go wrong, um, in order for UNC to lose that game or go and, right. And you haven't even, State, you know, you haven't even brought up the, the onside kick where you've got a guy in position to potentially catch the kick and run it back for a touchdown. He just has to catch it. It's right at him. And he's right there running right through the catch point just grab the ball at the eight yard mark, but he dives over it for inexplicably, like inexplicably just try like, so were my eyes deceiving me or was he actually trying to avoid hitting the ball there? Looks like he was trying to avoid it. Yeah. Like he didn't know that he could touch the ball before it went 10 yards. Yeah. I mean, if, if the offense if he, can't, but he can't, you know, right. Yeah. You want the offense to, if you're the defense, but if you're the defense, what you tell these guys is if you have a shot at catching it, and it's at the five-yard mark, the seven-yard mark. It doesn't matter. If you can go get it and you know you can catch it, you take it. Yep. And, oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I saw it like I saw him take off there. It's like, all right, they got – he just jumped over the ball. What did he just do? Grayson I, Atkins. <laughs> there was a 50-yarder. Well, NC State fans are going absolutely nuts. He, it's, uh, he's hit. 25% of those kicks this year, he's gone. Uh, it was gone one for four on, uh, anything 50 yards and above all season. He's only hit one 51 yarder all year, but he, you know, he nails it. It was close with a half yard to spare. Yeah, it was close, but he made it. Uh, and you know, if, if, uh, North Carolina wins that game, then I probably gonna have a photo of Grayson Atkins kicking that field goal, uh, for the, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but that's going to get lost in the, in the fog of time now, uh, because which is totally US... unjust. Cause I mean, that guy yeah. really, I mean, 
that was that was a serious serious deal for them to 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 pull through in that situation and and they gave them seven points to start the game there's another piece of ugly to talk about as Uh, a former special teams coach special teams coordinator this game was a tough one to watch i suspect so i mean you know uh what are you gonna do Uh, it was just a comedy really of errors nobody's laughing hard this morning i can tell you on a Pit premium message board. Um, but you know, that's what it was. I mean, so many things had to go exactly right. They had to thread the needle, uh, to come out with a win and they did. They, uh, yeah. Grayson Atkins will forever go down as the Marcus page three pointer against Nova that people will always talk about, but it's kind of like Jason K or Jeff Capel's shot against Carolina and by another basketball reference in Cameron. It was a heck of a shot. Didn't win. Waiting for the winner in Carolina. It, like you said, Jason, and this is where I want to get in. And I started to talk about Sam Howell earlier. I mean, we already know what he does and he did it again. So we'll just let that one be. And British Brooks, wow. I mean, Buck, to your point, just he looked like Javante out there, just trucking guys and running. And to not get it down inside the five-yard line there at all. Um, whew. But, Jason, let's talk about the special teams errors and the game management. I think they called a timeout before they kicked a field goal earlier in the half and still kicked the field goal. And you just eat – I mean, so many, like Buck says, a comedy of errors. And that, on that third phase of the game, when you're going out for an onside kick, you mentioned it earlier. You tell the guy to get it. How 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 does that happen? I mean, where do we put it? Do we put it on the coaching staff, or do we put it on players just make mistakes and players have boneheads? I think it's some of both, but I think it ultimately has got to fall on the coaches, right? Well, everything always at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, it's a player thing, but yeah, it's also a coaching thing. I mean, that's the way that that. These things are not zero sum, right? It's 100% on the coaches and 100% on the players. I mean, that's it's it's not a situation where where you know it's you know a, a small portion of each. You got a senior who has to know better, has to. Right? That's on that's on the senior, but at the same point, it's on on the coaching staff and on prior coaching staffs and on you know everybody involved for not having everybody exactly ready to to do that i mean that's why you spend all that time on on those particular uh sequences i mean i ran that same onside kick uh concept myself and we used to run it in practice we ran it a a few times every uh each year just because you had to get both sides ready for it like look you have to catch it this like you have to attack this this way when, when he does, you know, if, if this is how this is going to happen, you have to be ready. And you have to make sure that your whole team that might be on that hands team is prepared for that. But then you've got to also on the sideline, you've got to emphasize your, your coaching points that this is, you know, if they do this, if they line up this way, you, you've got to make sure you attack it this way. All sorts of different things. But at the end of the day, it's also then on the player to make the right call. And, you know, there are a few situations like this where you look at it and you're like, the player just made a bad call. I mean, 
you call a cover three. And yes, I know it looked like a cover two, but they actually had three deep players on that, on the, uh, on, on both Amezi touchdowns at the end. And what they're trying to do is let the corner beat him up at the line of scrimmage. And then you got a safety over top and the safety's going to take any vertical on the one, you know, safety jumps, a, a a dig route that he has no business looking at and you get a long touchdown. And then on the other one, he actually plays his responsibility and just gets mossed. I mean, he's there to make that interception and that interception closes the game, right? I mean, if he, if he gets his, I mean, that's how close this ball, this game was, he got his hands on the game winning interception. He just got it taken away from him. And as a coach, you go, you know, we spend all this time making sure that, you know, deeper than the deepest you're the, you're, but player gets eye candy, jumps the eye candy, and then you're in trouble, right? At the same point, you've got to coach that out of guys. So who's it on? It's on the player. It's on the coaching staff. It's on everybody. And there's no, there's no good. There's nobody that's innocent there. And, you know, as far as I could tell, those were good calls. Uh, you know, I went back and I looked at the defensive calls each time and it's like, well, that's, you know, that's a safe call. That's what you, that's what you call in that situation. But it's also your job to make sure that that guy's ready to, ready to, to make it, to handle his responsibility Hasek. and knows that he's not, <laughs> what's that? The Hasek. Yeah. You, you got to, I mean? you got to know that that, that, that late hit that it got, it called on the Hasek was. I didn't think it was late. Call. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was late. late at all. It wasn't late. Uh, I mean, I, I Leary watched only got rid I, of the I, ball like two nanoseconds before he got hit. But I don't think he was. He was out go. before he got hit. I thought he got. I thought it was. I thought he was getting hit as it left his hand. Pretty I much. mean, maybe you could still frame it, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's nanoseconds before. But I mean, that is that is the definition of a hit on the throw, and he wasn't high. He wasn't, you know, it was right in the strike zone. That is a legal hit, but you know, that that's, I'm, I'm not going to get into the officiating side of this. I, 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 I already saw one game this year where NC state got, uh, got away with multiple pass interference penalties. And I got to see if that's the same officiating crew actually that, that did both games. Cause what, there were some similarities. It was like, man, what in the world is going on? But yeah, you, you look at that. Now that one, that's not on the players. That's not on the coaches. You, you do exa- You got a guy that's doing exactly what he's coached to do. He's getting pressure on the quarterback. You know, that one's not on them, but everything else you, you've got to have your guy ready to make the right play on the right call. And they had the right call. And in the one case, he did everything he could to make the right play and just got beat. And the other one, he he made a, he made a mental error that you can't have. You got to coach out of a guy. So there's no easy solution there. Um, I will say this was one of the best. This was the second in a row, second game in a row where the defense played awfully well. I mean, if if, if you stop the game at the 58 minute mark, you're like, man, the defense has finally turned a corner. And then you look at that 13 points in the fourth quarter in 26 seconds, and you go, well, I guess uh, that corner still hasn't been turned. Yep, Carolina. The defense had given up. Um, what they give up total? They gave up. They gave, a, uh, they gave up 110 on the last two drives in the last 30 seconds of the game. But prior to that, they had given up uh, 250. Yep. So they, uh, which is 
I mean, that's a dominant performance of 14 points and 250 yards given up in a, in a game. That's dominant. That's exactly what you ask for. And then 110 in the last two drives. Yeah. And just wow. meltdowns by, by upperclassmen. And it's just, it's mind blowing. Uh, I don't really know what else, if there's anything else to say. I mean, Buck, I, I'm, this article is going to be entitled Microcosmic Meltdown because this game, more than any game I can recall, was a complete microcosm of the, at least the season thus far. And you could almost say of Mac Brown's three years in Carolina. Is that fair or is that overboard? Yeah, I wouldn't say so. I mean, there for a while, uh, really for most of uh, all of 2019 and most of 2020, Sam Howell was bulletproof in the fourth quarter. You know, he led the nation in uh, touchdown passes thrown in the fourth quarter. The comebacks in the fourth quarter were just legendary there for um, at least a year and a half. Uh, so, yeah, the, they had not really, until this year, made any kind of uh, – uh, shown any kind of tendency to, to, uh, melt down in the fourth quarter. That, that hasn't really been a thing under Mac Brown, but lately it has, I mean, um, in some recent games, especially last night, obviously, but, um, which was a most serious example you can have of that. I mean, it, it reminds me of some of the games that have gone down in like, um, uh, almost video meme history, the, what was it? LSU and Georgia, who was it a couple of years ago? And, uh, LSU, Kentucky had the Kentucky had them six. beat and then yeah. you got uh, yeah, a ton of games, but yeah, it's, it'll be like that. I mean, that's the one they'll show 20 years from now on, uh, ACCN highlights. Oh yeah. And, uh, the question I have. <laughs> And it's sort of in jest as who has more fans in North Carolina today, Wake Forest or, or Boston College? As that game kicks off at noon, of course, NC State goes to the championship game if Wake Forest stumbles against Boston College. Jason, how do you build off this? I think, I think the key building blocks are the defense. I mean, I mean, it's tough to talk about the defense when you give up 13 points in 20 seconds, but you know, I do think the defense made um, – if it happens once, it's a one-off. If it happens twice, you're starting to get a trend. Now it's happened three times where they've played pretty well overall, um, save a few catastrophic and against good mistakes. quarterbacks. Yeah, so what does ba how does Bateman build off this and keep his guys on that trend up upward? Well, I think the first thing is that you do emphasize to your guys, like, look, we played well. Guys, we, we did what we did our jobs. See what happens when you do your jobs. Look what happens when you play physical, when you're in, when you're, when you're doing your responsibility, when you're tackling in, in space, when you're, you know, not, not, uh, falling prey to eye candy can be a pretty good, pretty good defense. If you just do what we're asking you to do, we played well, guys, I'm proud of you for how we played for you know, 59 minutes of this game. I just want to emphasize that, and I, you know, I'm 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 gutted and I hurt for all of you for this. 
for the way that this game ended. But again, I'm just going to say, look, if we just do our jobs on these last couple things, it takes finishing. You've got to learn to finish. And if we can just learn to finish and make sure that we, that, that our eyes are great, that we're always doing our job, look how good we can be and look what happens when we're off by just a little bit. You know, I, I think That's, we also ought to mention, we talked about this in a, a previous podcast, but you know, football being a team sport, you don't really look at one particular player, unless it's a quarterback, um, as a real, you know, difference maker too often, but storm duck made a tremendous amount of difference at corner. Had he been healthy all year, I think we'd be talking about a different, uh, win loss record for the Tar Heels. Uh, and you know, not putting it on injury. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make excuses, but when he came back, it, he made a heck of a difference uh, at corner. Uh, one player made a lot of difference. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, he locked up State's other receiver. He had locked up both of them until the very end. Um, Jason, offensively, uh, Carolina rushed for almost 300 yards against the NC State defensive front that had some injuries but had been playing really well. Where are the positives out of that performance? Um, you know, the way I look at it, the positives were great. Uh, the negatives, of course, ultimately helped lose the game, but the positives probably aren't going to be around next year, um, at least from this one instance. So what did you see from the offense? Well, I mean, aside from my frustration with how short yardage and tight zone stuff is handled, they – Phil Longo can really run an offense between the twenties, <laughs> right? They, they know how to find space and create open opportunities for receivers. You still have Josh Downs coming back next year, right? You still have a lot of pieces as you, as you look forward. I mean, Antoine green is going to want, is going to want to spend a season coming back from this, from this, uh, this performance, given how he had played. I mean, he'd really turned a corner in the second half of the season and it played great. And he's still a guy that got open multiple times and beat, you know, he was, he was beating guys down the field and, you know, in a couple cases drawing what in almost any other game would have been a pass interference on multiple cases. Uh, just didn't finish. Uh, you have Olsen making a, making an excellent catch on the, on the goal line on, on the fade there. So you've got pieces that you can go, okay, look, you learned how to, how to fight here, or you learned how you can get real close, but you've got to finish. Those are all, those are all positives. As for the rest of it, I mean, next year is going to be a whole different offense. So, I mean, there are positives. There's not a whole lot that you can look at and be like, well, we can build here because you're, you're rebuilding a lot on offense next year. You're trying to figure out who you're going to be and all that. And I still want to see this staff change philosophy a little bit on their short yardage stuff. I mean, for one, I'm, I'm, I'm very much persuaded that what you do, if it's a, you know, third and one, fourth and one, as often as not, the, the quarterback sneak is the, is the most underused play in those situations. And, you know, I've learned this as much from watching Tom Brady over the years as anybody. 
you know, you get him in one yard to go situations and how often does he just, you know, do the whole little goose thing, you know, and finds the gap and you, you learn to do that. Uh, there are ways of, of not over, over complicating some of that stuff that I want to see, but you want positives. I think the positives are that you, you, you feel like you've got some receivers going into next year that can win downfield matchups. You just have to learn to finish a little bit. You plug in a quarterback that can play. And I think they've got two got two young guys that can, that can play. And, you know, you can find, find a pretty good identity on offense next year. So even with a lot of the pieces leaving, so, you know, maybe you, maybe, uh, you know, British Brooks still has a super senior year, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, who knows, but I I just. Running back shouldn't be their problem next year. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it will be. <laughs> they've got uh, some, they've got some dudes who are coming in and, and, you know, one dude, I, I like hood a lot, you know, in terms of uh, his potential as well. So, I mean, they've got, you know, they're going to have three or four guys next year that can play at that position. So, you know, they find some other solutions and, you know, they advance at quarterback like they should with the young guys and they'll be fine. But uh, defensively, I think that this, we did see them turn a corner in the second half of the season uh, they just have to learn to finish and, you know, that's the next step. So it's uh, I, I just, I, I still can't believe what I, what I watched and that what, what did I do? I mean, in terms of angering the football gods to, to be covering, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Florida state Jacksonville, Jacksonville state game this year. And then the UNC NC state game this year. I mean, something about improbable, snatching of defeat from the jaws of victory kind of uh kind of situations i've watched some of this stuff up close and personal this year and i'm i'm still just blown away by what this game what happens at times in this game i was thinking about your florida state jacksonville state ending there um when carolina had the ball with one last gasp to get it done buck so let's turn it off the offense off the defense and on to mac brown um and i want your thoughts on this guy, this, this season has got to cause, and this ending here in the regular season has got to cause some serious, serious self-reflection. I know that they say they do that all the time. They're always evaluating. But a lot of these issues that we've talked about on this podcast that Carolina fan base have seen are just recurring after recurring after happening again, and there it is again. What does Mac Brown do in this offseason or in this period here um, leading up to whatever bowl game they play and beyond to get those recurring devastating things that consistently happen to not happen next season. There's a several points to be made here. And I think to start with one thing that Mac does not do is he does not d- disappoint his boosters and he does not lose to NC state. Uh, or did not in the second half of his 1.0 tenure. I think he won five straight or so, maybe seven. I don't know. It was a few. Um, and and so he's done that now. And another thing about Mac is that if you go back through his history as a head coach, he's never been reluctant to fire assistant coaches. If you, I mean, he fired Manny Diaz, like on the field against, uh, <laughs> basically after the BYU game, um, he, he is not 
one that some people might get the idea that, you know, he, um, you know, loves his particular coaches and he can't, he won't let them go because he's personally likes them. That's not Mac. Uh, Mac is worried about his legacy and his, I mean, his win loss record. He, he, he's not concerning himself with, uh, friendship over, uh, the record book. So, uh, you know, I would expect, uh, that there might be some coaching changes in the offseason. We'll see if, if, if Mac doesn't reshuffle his staff to some degree, uh, and, and by reshuffle, I mean, shuffle some out, some in, um, it would be out of character for him. Uh, I think it's safe to say that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, uh, boys. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was about to, uh, I was about to go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I I was going to say, um, I just think losing to NC state, the way they lost to NC state is a game changer for the fan base. I mean, it's one thing to go and lay. Oh, it is. Oh, it it is. And I was going to make that point too, that, um, what's happened with the UNC fan base now is that, uh, Mac has created a lot of skeptics where there weren't skeptics before people were bought in. They were all about Mac. He's the man. He'll get us back to the promised land. All he had to do is stand in front of crowds and say, trust me. And, and he got the benefit of the doubt and he deserved the benefit of the doubt when he came to UNC. Um, he's got more wins than everybody except Nick Saban is coaching actively. Um, so he, he's won a few ball games in his life. Uh, he's been coaching long enough to know how it's done. Um, I think, it, but he's going to make some changes. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure about that in part because he's lost a little bit of the goodwill he's come in with and, and with fans that might not matter too much, but Mac probably has the best relationship with UNC boosters of anybody in the history of UNC football, better than anybody I've ever known. Uh, certainly better than people like Dick Crum or, uh, and to some extent, uh, Jim Dooley. Uh, so, uh, he's going to want to rectify that, uh, because he's depending upon his ability to connect with, uh, the powers that be over there, including boosters to get a lot of the toys that he wants to play with. So, um, there's that piece of it, but for, as for the fans now, he just can't go somewhere and say, trust me, I got this. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry about it and have everybody applaud and say, okay, uh, people are going to be. Um, looking at him under a microscope a little bit more often than they've have in the past three years, put it that way. I agree with that. Certainly. Uh, and if folks watching this or listening to this have read the Tar Pit premium message boards, uh, yes, I agree with those sentiments wholeheartedly and, um, whether folks like it or not, that encompasses the hardcore Carolina football fans. I mean, Friends of ours went to every single road game, 0-6, 0-5, whatever it is on the road. I mean, that 
you got fans that do that dedication. They, quite frankly, they need some reassurance or they need some results. And just to do it, to do it, losing, you know, if Carolina would have lost to NC State the way most of us expected or thought it was possible, then, but to do it in that fashion just sort of rubs salt and oil and grease and cayenne pepper in whatever wounds that Carolina football fans have had over the years. Jason, you got anything to close us out? Because I think we about, we about covered this one. Well, I thought a David Hale tweet was really interesting last night. I thought it was pretty accurate that he compared uh, current this year's uh, Mac Brown uh, North Carolina team to basically the 2011, 2012. Uh, I, I think he was thinking about 2011, but he said to an or to basically early Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. Uh, and I, I think there's some accuracy there. He said basically a team that has invested fully in, uh, in, in recruiting has brought in a ton of talent and just hasn't been able to get over the hump and has lost some games against teams that they, they probably should have beaten. And then he pointed out that, you know, the next year they, they within a, within a couple of years, they took a, a major step forward as that talent <laughs> started to, uh, to show out. He also observed though, that, that Jimbo made a couple of, uh, of key coaching changes after that uh, 2011 season. So uh, he went out and, and, and brought in a, a couple of other additional guys that were able to, to, to make some changes. So uh, some of that was not by choice, though. Uh, some of that was Mark Stoops went and took another job, uh, and he took uh, Elliot with him. They, they, so there, was, there were some changes with that, that that were needed because guys took other jobs. They were, they were hired away. So it was not a matter of Fisher uh, felt like his staff just wasn't there and he needed to replace those guys. So to be fair, I, I don't know that the results would have been a whole lot different if they, you know, kept the prior staff. But the point was, it didn't, it, it didn't look like they were going to be a dominant team down there and it looked like they were going to just keep underachieving and like, wow, you know, they're the recruiting all this, all this great talent and it sure ain't showing. And then all of a sudden you get that big breakthrough and they become a buzzsaw because the young guys that are the young four and five star guys that were just not quite good enough to get over the hump in 2011 in 2012, they go 12 and two get real close, still lost at NC state and a real painful one that kept them out of the, out of the uh, BCS title game, had a concussion of their quarterback that led to a, a loss against Florida in that uh, season finale, but really close. And then 2013, suddenly they're untouchable. What the, the reason I end with this is this is one of those things where coaches all the time talk about what it takes to build. And you got to remember what Mac Brown took over. How many games had they won in the prior three seasons? Five in the previous two. Yeah, five in the prior two. So this is this was a long term rebuild when he took over and he let everybody know that they were ahead of schedule because Howell was so good and they had some other guys that were able to really make a difference early on. And, you know, this was a team this year that, that, or is a team, they still got one more game. This is a team that has been on the cusp of really making, making that difference. I mean, this was a game where they dominated really most of the game. Lose close, win close, win big. And, as long as they keep turning that talent over, the, the results start to change. 
So I'm, I, I still think that, 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 you know, look, I've been the first to criticize on certain things. And there were some, I think, serious mistakes made coaching wise in this game from special teams to game management to certain calls that I thought could have, could have been better. But overall, this team has, has, has grown over the course of the year. And you're starting to see some of that young talent flash, and they're going to be adding that much more of it this next year as this talent gets a year older. They're going to get better. And, you know, Mac knows that. He knows what, what he's got on the roster. And, you know, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see where that goes next year. I mean, obviously, they're going to have to reload on that offensive side, but they're reloading with talent. So I'm, I, I think that's a good comparison overall. I don't think they've brought in quite as much talent as Jimbo did initially, but they're, 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 they're in that same kind of building uh, discussion where they're going to be that, that those results are going to, are going to show. It just lags a couple of years because these guys have to grow. Jason Staples closing us with that big four letter word called hope. Good way to end this one. Uh, Carolina falls at NC state in epic fashion, but as Jason says, and Bucks talked about, there is hope. You just got to search sometimes and find it and you got to wait on it. Carolina six and six, I guess we'll find out what bowl game next week or after the ACC championship game. I would have suspected Charlotte. Um, that would be fun against South Carolina or Tennessee or somebody like that. At any rate, Johnny T-shirt is sponsored this podcast and don't forget to support them. You get 10% off your everyday order. If you're inside Carolina premium subscriber and they're great friends. And of course they've got a ton of Christmas deals for you to take care of the Carolina fan. Probably got some, uh, cyber Monday stuff going on sale too. I would guess. Oh uh, yeah. If, if you're not on their email chain, get on it. And then you've got the inside Carolina, uh, discount on top of that so great stuff from them rate review subscribe like however you get your podcasts and your youtube feeds buck sanders santa claus sanders jason staples our last day after podcast until whatever bowl game it is probably um in late december but boys it's been always been a pleasure it's been so fun even though they're they're not always fun to talk about it's always fun to get together with you guys thanks yeah, if I don't I get to talk to the IC Nation between now and Christmas, Merry Christmas to everybody. That's the reason I got my hat on. Uh, and same to you guys, too. But we'll be talking between now and then. Yep. Thanks. And Happy we'll Advent, talk. everybody. <laughs> we'll talk to everybody soon. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average of 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.